Our gospel reading this morning is from the 15th chapter of St. Luke. Now, Jesus was telling a parable and said these words, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So, he divided his property between them. Now, a few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went, hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hands have have bread enough and and even to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I'll say to to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of man of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Well, I dare say that this is a little different. I'm pretty sure Rob and Rosemary and Bradley and, and uh, Pastor Laura and Mike and Taylor up in the sound booth that this is our first time in our collective history that we've worshipped with zero folks in the pews for the most part. Uh, but we do know that we still gather together as the people of God, as the body of Christ with folks who are still joining together with us in worship. We know that there are a lot of folks online who are listening even now, and we're thankful, aren't we, uh, for this technology, for this opportunity, that uh, even as we are called to separate ourselves from one another, that we uh, still can draw together as, uh, as one people. So let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for this time together and for this beautiful and blessed opportunity to join together as your faithful people. Lord, we pray that in these moments, this time of worship, that that you will join us, that you will be fully present with us wherever we are. For those who are gathering in homes, Lord, fill those homes with your peace and presence. For those who are gathering in, in, uh, in nursing homes or other communities, Lord, we pray that your peace and presence will rest with them and with all of us. And that through this experience, Lord, that you are drawing us all together as your body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I am going to make one pledge to you today, and it is that I'm not going to say one thing about the coronavirus. 
my guess is that you are, you are ready to talk beyond the coronavirus and that uh, maybe in that conversation, which has been necessary, it just feels sort of ad nauseum. And so today, we're not going to do that. In fact, we're going to continue in our sermon theme, which has been throughout this Lenten season, a theme that we've titled, Forgiveness, the Most Beautiful Word. In our digital display of that sermon theme around campus, Angel and Taylor created a a really short, uh, beautiful, cool little video clip that actually reads, forgiveness, the most challenging word, and then challenging is crossed out and underneath it is is printed the word beautiful. Uh, And it's true. I mean, both both are right. There's not one person listening to today who hasn't felt the, or I'm guessing, I'm pretty sure of this, who hasn't felt the absolutely beautiful effects of forgiveness in their lives, but also the challenge of forgiveness, to forgive, but maybe even to be forgiven. I mean, just think about our different gut reactions when we feel like we've been wronged. We get angry. I think I'm being honest in saying that all of us have reacted in such a way, saying things we probably shouldn't have said, holding a grudge that, that can sometimes last for years, refusing to, to talk or even being the pres- be in the presence of the person who, who we feel has offended us. It's painful and it fills our, our heart and our souls with, with bitterness. Sometimes our anger turns into action, what we might know as revenge. I Googled stories of revenge the other day and found a top ten list of revenge stories. They're they're sort of funny at one level and just so sad at another level. Uh, Here was one winner written by a woman who had been married to her husband for eight years. Whenever he does something horrible or mean, I do spiteful little things he never knows about. I've scrubbed the toilet with his toothbrush. I blew my nose on his pillow. I stuffed his dirty socks in his pillowcase. I spit in his food, flicked cigarette ashes into his coffee. Revenge. (laughs) Or the woman who worked at a charitable organization as a PR director until she got fired. She didn't explain why she got fired, just that she got fired and she was not happy about it. They were not going to get away with it, she wrote. In my last few days there, I used up as much paper in the copying machine as I possibly could. I went into the file drawer and completely mixed up every single file, putting each one in a totally different drawer. And then on the last day, I went into the archives, pulled out photos and papers and documents from as far back as 60 years, grabbed as many as I could, took them down the street, and dumped them in various trash baskets around town. It was great, she said. Revenge. And then one that it seems like everyone knows, uh, uh, even if you're not a football fan, you probably remember the story of Harvey Updike, the 62-year-old Alabama football fan who who couldn't handle the latest loss to Auburn, this one in 2011, and he was livid. So in the middle of the night, uh, when nobody was around, he drove to Toomer's Corner, which is on Auburn's campus. Uh, where students have gathered for the better part of the century or so to, uh, to celebrate Auburn victories underneath two 130-year-old beautiful large oak trees. Never again, he thought, and he poured gallons of poison all around the trees. They were dead within two years. What is it that makes revenge feel so sweet? Truth be told, revenge has been around since the beginning of time. The Bible talks about it quite a bit. 
I mean, you remember when Cain felt that he was being unfairly compared to his brother Abel, what did he do? He killed him. <laughs> when Joseph's brothers felt that, that, that uh, their dad was treating Joseph as the favorite, what did they do? They threw him in a pit and then sold him off as a, as a slave. Over time, revenge was codified into law. Now, this is interesting. In 1901, French archaeologists found a large stone tablet that was etched with what we now know as the Code of Hammurabi. It's the earliest known code of law. Hammurabi was, was, uh, was a, a, a powerful king in Babylon bound 1700 or 1800 or so years before Christ. He was one of the most celebrated leaders in history, but, but what's interesting is what the Code of Hammurabi says. You actually know it quite well. Uh, it's where we get the phrase, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Literally, the law, law states that if a man has caused the loss of another man's eye, his eye shall be plucked out. And if a man's uh, inflicted an injury on any other person, an equivalent injury shall be inflicted upon him. Payback. State institutionalized revenge. What's fair is fair. Now, we might disagree with the particulars, but every society in, in history has lived to a certain extent according to those principles. Uh, it's an eye for an eye. It's how we define justice. But here's the problem. When Jesus talks about all of that, certainly when Jesus talks about justice, He never talks about revenge. He never talks about fairness. In fact, the word fairness is nowhere on the lips of Jesus, nowhere. Jesus, Jesus isn't concerned with what's fair. Jesus has much bigger things on His mind. Think about it this way. When God created the world, we were created in God's image, uh, which means that we were one with God. Literally and figuratively, we were one with God, fully reconciled with God. Unfortunately, sin separates us from God. That's what sin does, literally and figuratively. It pulls us away from our oneness with our Creator. We are no longer reconciled with God, which, which forms a very basic outline of Scripture. The first two chapters of Genesis talk about the ways in which God creates us. The third chapter of, of Scripture talks about the way that sin separates us, and the rest of the Bible is God's plan to reconcile us. And what is that plan? Jesus, right, whose purpose is reconciliation. Listen to how St. Paul writes about it in, in, what, um, in what Bradley just read for us. Through Christ, God has reconciled the world unto Himself. But then notice what he says next. Now God entrusts this ministry of reconciliation to us. I mean, did you hear that? We, we are reconciled to God through Christ. I mean, that's the purpose of, of Christ. But what's the plan of our being reconciled to one another? Well, that plan God has entrusted to us. That's now our purpose. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies and keep on loving them. That's why Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you and keep on praying for them. 
That's why Jesus refuses to put limits on forgiveness. Just last week when we, when we read that Peter was asking, Jesus, do we forgive seven times? How many times am I supposed to, to forgive? And Jesus, although Scripture doesn't say that he laughed, it doesn't say that he sort of rolled his eyes, but it, it does say that Jesus says, come on now, not seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, offer a lifetime of forgiveness. Dang it, that's hard. My goodness gracious, it's just easier to be angry, right? It's just easier to just seek revenge and be done with it, right? But here's the point. None of that will make us whole again. And as we read in Corinthians, God's desire is for us to live into this sense of being a new creation, Not an old creation that keeps us separated from one another and from from God, but to live within this sense of new creation. That's when God's heart is filled with joy and ours too. Otherwise, we are simply bowing down to the power of sin, which keeps us separated from each other. So how do I get over my anger and my need for revenge? Well, lots of ways, but let's begin with trust. A young Indian brave was ready to make his transition to, an, to adulthood. After multiple rituals and challenges, it came down to a, a final night when the brave was to sit alone in a wide open prairie. It was a test of courage. His father took him to the middle of the prairie. The boy's village was miles away. No one was near. He placed him up upon a rock and told him to sit there all night long and not to move a muscle. Then his father pulled out a blindfold and he covered his son's eyes. Do not run. He said, do not make a noise, he instructed. A man must be filled with courage and with strength. When the sun rises, you may take off the blindfold. And the father's voice disappeared in the night. Well, that young brave, he, he sat alone on the rock. He couldn't see anything around him. As darkness fell, he heard lots of things, the the sounds of jackals in the distance, the movement of animals all around him, the screech of an owl. He wanted to run. He wanted to scream out for help. He didn't want to be eaten alive by a hungry pack of wolves or trampled by a, a herd of buffalo, but he waited, his heart just pounding all night, palms sweating. It was the longest night of his life, but finally the sun rose, and the boy's heart pounded with anticipation, a different kind of anticipation now. He quickly untied the knot of the blindfold. He pulled it from his eyes, and then he noticed, sitting only a few feet away, the familiar, loving face of his father, who had been by his side the whole night through. Trust. Trust in the loving presence and protection of your heavenly Father. Look, trust will not eliminate the bad. It will not immediately cure the things, the effects of, of that which has or, the, or, or those who have wronged you. But it does 
find for us a new outlet for our anxiety or our anger or even our fear. That outlet is God. Let God worry about the the worrisome details of life, most of which are out of our control anyway. The God who, who created you can sustain you after all. The God who redeemed you can walk and promises to walk with you after all. The God who has reconciled us to Him gives us the ability and the opportunity to be reconciled to one another. That's the plan. You can trust Him with your life. But briefly... You have to do something about it. Last Wednesday, I met Kylan Middleton and Callie Mitchell. They're two pastors in Charleston, South Carolina. Kylan serves at Mount Zion AME Church, but most notably, he, he was the best friend of Clemente Pinckney, the pastor of Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, where Dylan Roof brutally killed nine members in a Bible study one night in June of 2015. Both Kylan and Clemente were graduates of the Lutheran Seminary in Columbia, and that's why I ran into them last week. Callie Mitchell is one of the priests at Grace Episcopal Church, which is literally right next door to Mount Zion. One is a historically white church, one is a historically black church. Like so many people, Kylan and Callie's lives, these are the two pastors, their lives were changed because of that shooting. Kylan admits he was angry. Uh, in large part because his best friend had been murdered. Callie was sad. She was afraid. She was worried for her community. In the days and weeks after the shooting, people began using uh, the word forgiveness a lot. Many of you who remember that time period will remember sort of um, the the emotion that was surrounding the time, the, the beauty of seeing a community that literally began to join hands, and they did. They joined hands together on the day of the commemoration at Mother Emanuel Church. We even heard President Obama offer a broad statement of forgiveness and then sing Amazing Grace. They were beautiful moments. But these two pastors worried that their stories and the broader story was being co-opted by a word that most folks simply did not understand. The wheels of justice are slow, Thurgood Marshall wrote. When TV cameras disappear, where will we be? They worried. After all, reconciliation is not a quick fix. It's a long-term project. So, they began in their own very particular context. They began doing something that they could do in their particular location. They, the two congregations, began to meet every Monday afternoon at 5 o'clock for an hour. Members of both churches were invited to a time of prayer and fellowship. They've read books together, and most of the time they share okra soup together. Every week, it continues to this day, it continued just last Monday. Every week for nearly five years, 70 to 80 people, white and black, who otherwise did not know each other for the most part, they prayed together, they eat together, they learn how to love each other. That's the long-term project, the process of reconciliation. Now, their journey is not over because this path to reconciliation can be very, very long. But it begins with a group of people who refuse to give up, who refuse to choose the easy route through anger, choosing instead the blessed route to reconciliation. 
And so, my friends, that's my question for you today and maybe through this week. Where will your journey begin? Amen.